This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, hello there. Come in and get comfortable. This is Out to Lunch, where I invite fantastic people for a meal and we record the chat. Today I lunch with a new talent who has a foot in the world of British character comedy and another in big-time Hollywood acting. You may know her as the Georgian noblewoman Kitty in the BBC hit comedy Ghosts, for which she was nominated for a British Comedy Award. She stars in the US comedy Shrill and has worked with Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi on Miracle Workers. She also beats Alan Partridge at his own game as the contrarian reporter Ruth Duggan. During this lunch I asked what it was like watching Tom Cruise hurtling towards her on set with painful consequences, the beauty of a good costume fitting and what it's like meeting her comedy heroes, among them Olivia Colman. It is the brilliant Lolly Adafope. Are you basically telling us that Steve Buscemi isn't really that good? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Is that what, he's is that not what we're good. It's not good. It's not good. It's, it's not good and he's not nice <laughs> either. <laughs> Lolly Adafope said that she likes Chinese food. So I brought her to A Wong. Now, A Wong is a really interesting restaurant. Uh, Andrew Wong's father ran a pretty standard Chinese restaurant here. And then Andrew took over. He went on a big tour of China, learned everything you need to learn about regional Chinese food, and has brought it back to create a really quite extraordinary restaurant, which elevates every single dish to enormous heights. It's got a Michelin star. It's got enormous numbers of awards. It's really, really good. I'm delighted that I'm interviewing Lolly today and having lunch with her. I'm really thrilled that I'm going into this restaurant. Should we go inside? Hi Molly! There. Hello! Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you so much. We are in a private dining room. There's a bit of food prep that goes on, so we'll sure. hear bangs and clanks. I mean, you don't care, I'm just saying, so yeah, people yeah. listening go, what the hell's all that noise? <laughs> They're fighting. Um, so I thought, so that you've got something to really go for, mm -hmm. a giant prawn cracker is wow. kind of... The way to start, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, timeless classic, I think. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, you did a thing for The Last Leg, dating outside your bubble. Yes. I'm just sort of curious, <laughs> to make it all about me, is this is this dining outside your bubble or do you think you're inside your bubble? Um, what does this feel like? Where are you, where... I think this is sort of one foot out, one foot inside the bubble, probably. So moderately comfortable but mildly challenging. <laughs> exactly, yeah, which is the perfect place to be, I think. OK. Yeah, yeah. This is Ben. Hello, Ben. Serving. I'm Lolly. Nice to meet you. What I was thinking was we could, there's a kind of, we can share a, some duck with pancakes to great. kick off, yeah? Yeah, great. And then there's a bunch of dim sum. Perfect. And they can sort of bring them in waves for Amazing, us. Amazing, yeah. To drink. Do you want water? Do you want tea? Um, Would you like a glass I'll of have, wine? What are you going to have? Glass of wine? Great. Yeah. <laughs> All white, of it. white or red? 
Maybe white. Something crisp, crisp and white. Dry. Yeah. Okay. I'll, uh, should we let you do it rather than us having to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, you're in charge. Okay. Sparkling water, tea, okay. and do the thing. Sure. In preparation for meeting you, I've watched lots of you. Oh, great. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it's important, and you you have this ability to do very little and do it <laughs> extremely effectively. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll get there in time, but um, I think both May Martin and um, A.D. Bryant, mm -hmm. you know, involved in, in Shrill, mm. uh, the Lindy West adaptation, mm. talked about you having this ability to indicate something just with a shift of the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? Where did the ability to do that, or the confidence more than anything else? Because you put someone on a set and say, you're in a comedy, be funny, mm. that the likelihood is you're going to yeah. overact like mad. I think that was it. I think I was so... I just hated anything that was hammy and, and that was OTT, and all the stuff that I liked watching was kind of subtle British comedy. And I think sometimes I go too far the other way, and I think I do too little sometimes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, Would like, you turn to a director and say, do you want more? And they go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Wine has turned up. Wine coming is the German Riesling. Mm. Thank you. It's not a bad way to kick off a Tuesday lunch. Mm. Right? Your character in Ghosts. Mm -hmm. Kitty, a noble woman. Yes. Do you want to explain what Ghosts is, the premise? Yes. So it's about a couple uh, called Alison and Mike. And uh, in the first episode, Alison finds out that she has inherited a huge sort of country estate. And rather than sell it, they decide to move in with the long-term plan of turning it into a hotel. But Alison falls out of a window and knocks her head and realises that after that she can see ghosts in the house. So I play one of the ghosts. And the ghosts are from across the, the centuries of yeah, people who've people occupied who died that there. land. Yeah, and died yeah. There. People who've lived and died there over, yeah. And from a caveman to, I think, a politician who died in the 90s, I think is the most recent. And the, the truth is, it could sound like the premise for a sketch. Yes, yeah. But in fact, it's worked for a, a three series, four series, Christmas yeah. specials. Yeah. It, it's made you a fixture on BBC One. Yeah. I think that's maybe the key, is that it feels like a sketch, because it's, like, lots of fun characters that you want to watch doing what they do over and over again. That part comes along, and it's a massive ensemble part. Had you watched Horrible Histories as a kid? Not as a kid, no. I watched it when I was a little bit older, as a comedy fan. And when it's, it comes to you through your agent, did you immediately see it as an exciting... Possibility. I'd done a show with Jim Howick, who plays Pat, and he said, oh, we're doing this taster tape, like a mini pilot for this show called Ghosts. I said, yeah, definitely, because I loved all the people who were in it. So I kind of just did it in my normal voice and just kind of played the character as myself. And then when it got commissioned, I think it was like the day before the first day of filming, I suddenly thought, like, Lonnie, you should think about how you want to be every day as this character. Do something that's going to make you laugh every day and it's going to make you excited to play the character rather than just doing it neutral or doing it in a realistic way. Is it um, fun to do? It's so fun. Just most of us making each other laugh all day and I think also because we're in the same place all the time, in, our, in the same costumes all the time, it's just like seeing how 
far you can develop this character and push this character and seeing all the different things this character can do rather than like putting characters in loads of different locations and all of these different plots and everything it's like you're just sort of watching the characters build um, as the series go on and it's just quite fun to think of basically all the modern things that these characters have never seen or tried before. It's an amazingly collaborative show, isn't it? Yeah. When you yeah. look at created by, I think it has five names. Yeah, yeah. Listed Six on them, it. Yeah. Six. Mm-hmm. And are you literally throwing in lines yourselves? Trying we do to kind of ad lib a little bit. Yeah. Katie Wicks is very good at um, ad libbing things that were never in the script, but definitely stay in. Oh, hang on! Something else is coming. Yes, you, you can take things away. You can take things away. Beautiful scallop puff. Scallop puff. Oh. Nine days scallop puff. Serving you xiao long bao is a soup dumpling. Okay. Recommend you to use a Chinese spoon and two mouthful. Thank you. Yeah, but was that one of the big ones, or is there another yeah. point where you thought? I think that and Shrill are probably the two. And then Miracle Workers is also a show I did in America. That was the first American part. That so I Miracle Workers, Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi. Mm. Anybody who also hasn't seen Miracle Workers. Yes. That's a bit more of a complicated sell, isn't it? Yeah, so it was based on a book by Simon Rich and each series kind of resets. It's like a new story. So the first series is set in heaven and a little bit on earth. Um, and uh, I play an angel and I'm kind of the assistant to Steve Buscemi who plays God and it's kind of God is the CEO of heaven and he's running this business essentially um, but has kind of given up on earth and thinks that he's made a huge mistake by creating earth and plans to destroy it um, unless some of the people working in heaven can convince him not to which is what we do over the series. Quite big names. Quite big names, yeah. Is it true that you got that part mostly because a plane was delayed? Or you couldn't sort leave Sort of, summer? yeah. What happened? I was in New York, and I was supposed to be leaving on a Tuesday. And then I got a weird text <laughs> on a Sunday that said, like, this flight has no in-flight entertainment because there's something wrong with the plane. So if you want to rebook your flight free of charge to another day, then you could do so by calling this number. And then I got a call from my agent on the Monday that said, they're doing this read-through for this TV show, uh, they haven't cast this part yet, so would you be up for just reading in, in the read-through? It's on Thursday, so you'd have to rebook your flight. Hang on a second, but by reading in, were you meant to, they haven't got someone to do it, so could you pop along, please? Yes, yeah. But when I got there, I kind of didn't know how much effort to put in, because, I knew that all, the, all these other people had been cast in the show, like Dan Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi were there. Um, I mean, there are some people who presented <laughs> with that who would be, in the old-fashioned term, tits and teeth all the way. They're like, <laughs> hey, I'm here! I know. Uh, I'm in New York, I'm going to Steve Buscemi, Daniel yeah. Radcliffe. I watched his films as a kid. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and, and, and you're going, well, <laughs> should I? No, no, I, was, I think I was thinking, obviously I really want the part, but I don't want to go into this read-through where I'm not a member of this cast and really sort of act as if I am. But luckily the character is, is very kind of moody and sarcastic and uh, eye-rolly and thinks that everyone else is really stupid. So I didn't need to, like, go too big with it anyway. You do have one of the best eye-rolls in the business. <laughs> okay, I've got quite a few different eye-rolls yeah. in my arsenal, yeah. Kia Shun Dumpling with orange vinegar foam on top and chilli. Okay. Thank Pop you. Pop and dumpling with crackling and kai lime leaf. We call it the king and the queen. <laughs> okay. Number one, number two. Memory of picking that. Mm. Ah. I'm going to open the lid. We're watching. Ready? Yeah. One, <laughs> two, three. Wow. 
Oh, wow. look. So there's a big plume of either uh, smoke mm. coming off. When you're doing that read-through, in the moment when the read-through's going on, are you aware that it's going down well? I don't think so. I think I would never expect that to happen. I think I felt very much like an actor who's here to read the lines, so I think I was more thinking, I don't want to get any of the lines wrong, and I don't want to draw any attention to myself. <laughs> I've left a long pause there because I'm, I, I really am slightly baffled. <laughs> You've wanted to be an actress all your life. I know. Actress, comedian. You're in New York. You're with two huge stars. Even you must recognise it's a bit odd. I think I try not to think that it was because I was so amazing. I think it was because they hadn't cast the part and they were filming in about a week. <laughs> I think I was good in the show. Eat your Peking duck <laughs> while, I, while I rant at you. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to rant at you now. <laughs> I mean, my job is to interview you rather than do therapy, but for God's sake! Stupid show me in Daniel Radcliffe vehicle does not cast someone just because she wasn't shit. <laughs> I think I was good in the show, <laughs> but I think... Oh, hang on. Honey Rose Barbecue Pop. Brilliant. Are, are we di basically discussing, and it's a phrase that comes up on this podcast, a massively highly developed imposter syndrome issue as an actress? Yeah, I think I should be there, but I shouldn't think that it's because I'm incredible, because there are loads of incredible people. I just think it's kind of a mistake to think that the most famous actors are the best actors. Are you basically telling work. us that Steve Buscemi isn't really that good? <laughs> is that what you're saying? Is that what, is that what we're It's not good. It's not good. It's, it's just not good and he's not nice uh, either. Uh, uh, <laughs> how was he to work with? An angel. The nicest man. Him and Daniel Radcliffe, I think, are two of the nicest people in I used my hands with that one. Yeah, great. Um, and Daniel Radcliffe had no idea who Cardi B was. Yes, yeah. Was Cardi B relevant to the part? Oh, not to the part, no. Me, just... Just, me and Geraldine and Karen were just... I think she was just very big at the time. It was like maybe when she first blew up. Um, I'm not sure if we were, like, singing her music or... We put her music on, and uh, we we mentioned her, and then Daniel was like, "Who is that?" And we couldn't believe that he didn't know who she was. And then, as a rap gift, he gave us candles, sort of like those candles that have pictures of Jesus on, but with Cardi B's face. <laughs> this is so amazing, isn't it? It's wow. a kind of Chelsea pork, but properly sourced. With uh, you should have one of the candied walnuts that's there as well. Oh wow! Um, how was it stepping foot onto a big American? That was pretty amazing. Sound stage. Yeah, and it was filmed in the same studio that they were filming. I just can't remember what it's called now. I think maybe like First Man. It's like a big Ryan Gosling. Uh, yeah, Ryan yeah. Gosling film. So it was this huge studio, um, and that felt very epic. And I felt very much like, wow, I'm. I mean, I was in Hollywood, but I felt like I was in Hollywood. Um, and like drive on a little buggy around the sets and everything and... Even if it's only 30 feet to the stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always taking the buggy if it was yeah. offered. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Shrill, mm -hmm. which is the adaptation of Lindy West's sort of memoir. Can you describe what Shrill is for anyone who hasn't, who's, you know, had the bad taste not to see it yet? It's about a girl called Annie who... Um, the kind of tagline is she wants to change her life but not her body. Um, so she's a fat woman who works for a newspaper and is kind of having this awakening of realising that it's the world who has a problem and not her. And so we kind of see her go on this journey of 
um, standing up for herself and learning to love her body again and kind of work out who she is in a world that kind of wants her to change. And who's um, Fran to and her? Fran, I play Fran, her best friend and roommate. Um, and they met at college and they've been best friends ever since. People focus on it being a plus-size story, mm-hmm. but it is about body shapes. You said something mm. brilliant, which was the only time you'd gone to a costume fitting and come out feeling more confident. Yes, totally, yeah. I think actually a lot of people, a lot of people in Shaw felt like that about that costume department. Um, it was a woman called Amanda Needham and her team. That was the first time I realised that I didn't really enjoy costume fittings. I thought of, I sort of convinced myself that costume fittings were just not fun, and that's just how it was. They're not. And also, there's this like weird assumption that you might want to wear something smaller than. Like <laughs> there were so many times with Amanda where I would try, I would see something and it say it was like a medium, and I would put it on and it would fit. Or it would fit in the way that I would wear it if I was at home. And she'd be like, well, that doesn't quite fit. That's kind of like pulling there. And in my head, I was kind of thinking, that's fine that it's pulling. And then I'm like, it's actually not fine. It's like much better just wear something that fits you rather than trying to convince yourself that you fit into a medium because that, for some reason, is a good thing. Um, but she would, she would just like would point out things and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is how clothes are supposed to hang. It's not really about size. It's just about something that looks good. Did it change um, the way you dressed yeah, personally? totally. I think I just was always thinking about like what size I was and therefore I had to wear clothes of that size or smaller rather than just wearing clothes that look nice. Trill is very much body positive. Mm-hmm. Had that ever been a part of what you felt you had to do? This thing that, I'm not sure if it's like an official term, but like body neutrality, which is kind of what I aspire to and hope that everyone else would aspire to, which is even though it's great that we're saying that, you know, curvy bodies are amazing and fat bodies are amazing, bodies are just bodies, it literally doesn't matter. <laughs> There's no, like, moral value. All bodies are great. I sometimes shy away from the kind of celebrate your curves way of thinking. I, I, I do know what you mean. Yeah. The idea that people are looking at your body and saying, you should celebrate your curves. It's like, why are you looking at me and analysing what my body shape is and deciding that it's good? Can't we just say that everyone's fine? Everybody's fine. <laughs> just it's a brilliant like part. <laughs> the part is great. Yeah, you know, I love Screwing your way through <laughs> the queer community mm. in Portland. Wearing amazing clothes. Great wigs, kind of a dream. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. How did the role in Mission Impossible come about? Was that just... <laughs> that, was, that was an audition, actually. I had to pretend that I was sat at a computer, and I think originally in the audition it was like I was eating my lunch, 
and then I look out the window and I see Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. And I just had to sort of be shocked in the audition. And I did that, apparently I did that very well. <laughs> and when you were shooting it, you were the person who witnessed him break his ankle as he hit the window? Yes. I sort of witnessed him hobble away. Obviously we were in the room with the officers, so we had a different, like a smaller camera crew filming my reaction. And they were, sometimes when they were filming him doing the jumping, we weren't really in shots, we were just sort of chilling out while that was happening. But then I think we sort of realised we'd been chilling out for like quite a while and uh, nothing had been happening and we hadn't been needed and then we realised that he'd broken his ankle. And what was so weird is that we were quite high up, like I was at this top of this big office block and I think one of us Googled it like that afternoon and it was like on TMZ, like a picture of him and it was like uh, Tom Cruise breaks his ankle and it was like where are these photographers? Like, they must be high up as well. They must know everything about the location of the filming and, like, they must just be there all the time, waiting for something to happen. Like, best day of their life, like, for example. <laughs> it was just so mad that it was, like, almost like at the same time that we found out while in the same film, someone else was, like, spreading it to the world. When you're on a set like that, is it a different scale? Does it feel like oh, this is what a massive Hollywood movie production looks like. There's like maybe a thousand people around doing lots of different things. So that was when I got the sense that like, this was huge. You've talked about race and race has been part of your material, mm. but it's almost always seemed less riven with anger than utter bafflement. Yeah. Is yeah, that reasonable yeah. to say? Yeah, I think so. In, in 2018, yeah. you managed to get into a row. <laughs> Yeah, because you I wouldn't call it a row. But well, you, well, you posted a, a joke. There was a there was a, <laughs> a a poster for a charity Christmas thing. Mm -hmm. Twenty four comedians. Yeah, which is a big number of comedians. A big number a of comedians, yeah. and every single one was white. Yeah. What was your line? Oh, look, somebody's dreaming of a white Christmas. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> very funny. So when you did that, did you think this is a good gag? I thought it was a good gag, and I thought this is a little bit spicy, and I'm sure some people might not find this funny, but. I think this is kind of undeniably just a funny joke. And I actually think I, if this happened, if it happened now, I would have just tweeted the joke and never tweeted anything else afterwards. <laughs> but I think because it was 2018, I, and I was more on Twitter than I am now, there were so many people sort of speaking for me and saying what I thought and what I meant by the joke that I felt like I had to explain myself. People and were furious with you. I was sort of more naive then and I thought, no, I'm sure I can have not a rational debate with these people, but I can go some way to explaining what I meant. And I think I just regret that because then it just became this whole thing where I was replying to 15 different people at once. Yeah, when you get into one of those, it's yeah, not fun. Yeah, exactly. And I think I should. it would have just been cheeker if I just left the joke and been like, that's all it was, it was just a funny joke. Um, one of the previous guests on this was London Hughes. Mm -hmm. And I kind of hesitate to sort of bring her into this conversation because basically saying you're both black you're both women you're both <laughs> comedians therefore you must have something in common mm -hmm. her approach she's furious and angry sure. um and she left the country basically and went to la and it's all taken off mm. the thing you actually don't want to do do you understand her anger have you looked at it from afar and gone well that's interesting or is it just a totally different approach in your head I think it's a totally different approach. London didn't necessarily like go to America and then blow up. I think she built quite a good career in the UK, mm. and then and that's helped her in LA. There's, there's some things that I'm angry about, but 
especially all because also like I'm having a very nice time. Like, like when you're being successful, yeah, other people can project their ambitions upon you. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly you're required to be a spokesperson for them or yeah. an advocate for them. Yeah, and I guess it's like you don't want to say, "Well, I was fired and I um, got a career, so what are you complaining about?" It's like it's not really that vibe. But I guess I. I've had a wholly negative experience in the UK comedy industry. I've had a wholly positive experience. And that's as someone who, like, would consider themselves woke and, like, aware of the racism and sexism that does exist in the country. Does it surprise you that you've had a wholly positive experience occasionally? Or do you think, well, that's a good thing and should be celebrated in itself? Um, I think if I was maybe, like, ten years older, I would have had more of a negative experience. But I think I probably came up at the time when people were starting to become a lot more woke and realising, like, the inequalities in the world and in on TV and, like, the lack of diversity. And I think I, I remember, like, Michaela Cole talking in an interview and saying that when Chewing Gum came out, she was, like, aware that people were trying to be more diverse in TV. Even though the show is amazing, she's amazing, but she was, like, I definitely knew that that was the case that these people were approaching me and for that reason sometimes I just timed it really well <laughs> being born <laughs> oh, wow oh, it's all our yesterdays <laughs> we know what we're doing with this don't we yeah one of the other things that you're doing is you're a judge on a thing called is it screenshot yes yeah I did that in May and apart from anything else, I mean, it's about finding new talent, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But who were your co-judges on that? Wow. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, <laughs> don't you? It was Rosie Jones. Yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yep. And Olivia Coleman. So Crazy. you gr- grow up <laughs> watching Olivia Coleman. Yeah. And sort of idolising or just being impressed by her work and thinking that's... Yeah, she was probably my number one. Idol, yeah. And then you become a person who judges <laughs> alongside her. Yeah, I found it mad. And then when I was doing it, because it was it was essentially essentially set up because Edinburgh, the Fringe got cancelled because of COVID. Yeah. And all of the people who would have been doing their first shows and have had like their first step into the industry lost that opportunity. So they set up this prize, and if they won, then they got like a treatment commissioned or a script commissioned. Sure. I think I was just watching and thinking, like, I would love to be doing this. Like, I don't really feel like <laughs> I'm authorised to be... Guys, I've got some material. This. Can yeah, I... Can yeah. I... <laughs> when you were introduced to Olivia, did you have to keep it together? I think I kept it together a bit, but she was so nice and she, like, went in for a hug. And so I went in for a hug. Yeah. Did you fit? I mean, you, you joke, you know, quite like to be out there doing your own material and being judged <laughs> on that. <laughs> mm. But did you feel a sense of sending the lift down, encouraging others? Yeah, I think so. It was, like, five years ago that I was doing Edinburgh. I still feel much closer to, like, doing Edinburgh shows than I feel to, like, being in Hollywood and acting, even though I'm kind of... I sort of feel in between, maybe, but slightly closer to Edinburgh because it's more comedy. You know, you did Lolly 1, you did Lolly 2. Lolly 3 became the unloved third child that got kicked into touch because you landed a big role in America. I know. Are you still a comedian? That's, that's the question. Oh, you this is my biggest in... fear. Yeah. People think I'm not a comedian anymore. Why does that matter to you? Because I just think comedians are, like, fun to hang out with and actors. You think they're cool? Is it cooler think, well, to was, say you're a comedian cool, than it is? I was going to say cool, but then some of them aren't cool. 
Um, but I think they're, they're just more fun. But I just think people who want to make you laugh all day are, of course, the people who you want to hang out with. And I think actors, not all of them, sometimes they're great, but some of them can be kind of maybe just like too sincere sometimes. Yeah, or... but just remember that everyone who's about to be on set with <laughs> Lolly Adafope, that, you know, she doesn't really I don't want to be very there. cool. <laughs> Um, you did in that great series, uh, Comedians Giving Lectures. Oh, yes. So you give a great talk about, you know, <laughs> down with apps. Yeah. At the end of which, you burst into song. Yeah. <laughs> what did you sing? I sang Alicia Keys, um, If I Ain't Got You. Yeah. Yeah. You sang it really, really well. You've got oh, pipes. I watched that back and I thought, nah, that wasn't very good. <laughs> First. And I kind of, it's, it's going to sound wrong, but what were you thinking? <laughs> what, 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 literally, what was the thought in your head? Where you went, and um, at this point, I'm going to burst into a song and sing some Alicia Keys. Was, were you afraid that the lecture itself might not do <laughs> the think, job? Yeah, because it was like kind of a competition and I kind of wanted to win. It's like we had to impress the judges. And I think I just thought, also because I don't do stand-up, so I'm not really used, I wasn't really used to like speaking as myself. It's good, it's funny. You can find it on uh, YouTube and you should... Anyone should look it up. Yeah, I think because I had a topic, I, f I felt less nervous to talk as myself. But like, right. I think I just thought I need, to, I need to do something else here because this isn't my forte. I need to like pull something else out of the bag so that I win. <laughs> did you? I didn't see to that bit. I don't think I did. Um, but I remember one of the judges messaged me afterwards saying, because I think she gave me like 90 out of 100 and then she regretted it. Because she, she said that she was sort of doing like a Simon Cowell bit and she said that she didn't really think it landed. <laughs> so she messaged me on Instagram afterwards being like, I'm really sorry, I, I wish I'd given you a hundred. Do you want to do more singing? I love singing, yeah. But again, kind of the imposter syndrome thing. I've never had singing lessons. So I think, even though sometimes I think I sound good, in the back of my mind I'm like, you don't really know what you're doing. So I kind of like do it in my show sometimes. It was like a bit in Shrill where I sing. And I'd love to do it again in a live show, but I never really know that I'm actually doing it properly. Yeah, well, someone it. who doesn't seem to know what to do, you're doing it very, very well. Thank you so much. Um, is there a plan now? I definitely want to do more live stuff. I want to do another show and eventually do Lolly 3, even, even if it's not called that. I think I want to just sort of keep doing different kinds of comedy, staying versatile and trying to nail lots of different things, and then I'll do serious acting. Well, I hope you carry on doing everything you're doing because you're brilliant <laughs> at it. Thank you so um, much. I have no idea whether there's more coming because I didn't really <laughs> order, they just said they'd bring stuff. Uh, but I will say, as our as our aromatic crispy duck comes to an end, Lolly Alifope, thank you for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Lolly. Um, we carried on eating dim sum for quite some time after we stopped recording. And huge thanks to the staff at A Wong in London's Victoria. It really is an extraordinary restaurant. If you love the show, do please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know the deal. And do spread the love. Tell literally everyone about us. Share, comment, give us five stars. It does help us to keep making these. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged, and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The recording engineer was Paul Brogdon and the mix engineer is Josh Gibbs. Assistant producers are Anya Das and Bethany Hocken. The producers on this episode are Jemima Rathbone and Selena Reem and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Next time it's star of The Trip, Gavin and Stacey and host of Would I Lie to You, it's comedian and actor Rob Brydon. 
and we go, wow, you know, it's, it's Shirley Bassey, it's, it's amazing. She's gone for about five minutes. She comes back, right? She flung open the curtain and she went to the minute you walked in the joint. And she started, she did about a verse and a chorus. And she walked around the table, draping her hands. And David and I were looking at each other going, oh my God. 